who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. And this is another mini episode where we tell you what is in the news. I struggled this week because usually I like hear a lot of stuff and like see a lot of stuff on social media. And yesterday I was just kind of like, I don't really know what's going on in the world right now. Like, is there anything big happening? Like the media has been consumed with one thing. So I I thought we should talk about it. Although if people have been invested in what's going on in the media or like uh, other news podcasts or whatever, they right. probably already heard about all about this. But we should probably touch on Sharpie Gate. What the fuck is Sharpie Gate? Where have you been? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I haven't heard like anything. So you know that Hurricane Dorian has been happening. Yes. Um, it. We will touch on the ways in which it has, like, ravaged the Bahamas, of which course. is um, horrifying and sad. Uh, but we should also talk about how fucking unhinged our president is. And I've heard a lot of people talk about how, like, oh, there's so much bad stuff going on in the world right now. Why would you be focusing on this stupid thing? Um, and I will explain why I think that it is important to talk about um but I will explain the situation to you. Please, teach so, me things. This all began on Sunday. The president tweeted, uh, last Sunday, he tweeted a warning about Hurricane Dorian and said that in addition to Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, and Alabama will most likely be hit, in uh, parentheses, much harder than anticipated by the storm. Now, the path of Hurricane Dorian was not supposed to hit Alabama at all. Every weather service, every was weather he, professional. Was he trying to make it about, was he trying to make it a U.S. problem? I think he just made a mistake. Okay. Like, you know, because he is the... Because I thought he was like, oh, but we're going to suffer too. Don't no, no, no. Us. No, because okay. originally it was supposed to hit Florida really hard. Got you know, it. and like, so people were preparing. People had been preparing for this hurricane right. um, to hit, you know, the southeast right. for a while. But 
I think he just made a mistake when he included Alabama because it was not supposed to hit Alabama at all. Like, he just tweeted incorrectly. Right. But the issue with that, when you have a president who just spouts off at the fucking mouth the people, way that he does... People pay attention people to people listen. Yeah. yeah. So now people who thought they were in the clear from this hurricane started panicking. And so they started calling the weather services in Alabama um, asking if they needed to prepare. Do I need to evacuate? Yeah. Do I need to, like... You know, get ready for this hurricane to hit. And so the um, Birmingham National Weather Service quickly responded and Mm -hmm. corrected him. They tweeted out that, um, they tweeted out the following Alabama will not see any impacts from Dorian. We repeat, no impacts from Hurricane Dorian will be felt across Alabama. The system will remain too far east. So, they tweeted this. Seems like that should be simple. Yeah. We're done. The done. president made a mistake, you know, and if it was any like he does. other fucking president, he probably would have either moved on completely or acknowledged that he His made mistake. a mistake, yeah. right? Not but. our president. <laughs> so, he decided that he was going to give a like um, an update from the White House on September 4th, which was last Wednesday. He used an outdated map Already. So he had a map up that he was, like, using to show, like, the cone of, like, where this hurricane would be headed. Right. That map was already out of date. And a lot of, like, weather experts questioned why the president was giving outdated information already. Like, because the projections... The projections were incorrect. However, he didn't even really cover his ass. <laughs> and this is why it's called Sharpie Gate. And honestly, it's objectively funny. Like, it is objectively funny until you realize the deeper implications right. of, of this. Um, he had the map, had a cone going towards where the hurricane would be. Right. And then in Sharpie, there was an addition onto the map that included Alabama. So he he was like, here's where the hurricane is going to go. And then, yeah, you see, you see, it totally shows that it's going to go to Alabama. But it's literally just an out On the Sharpie. He usually, literally, he used a Sharpie to include Alabama in this projection. Yes. um, And just thought that all of us would be like, yeah, it looks legit. You know what I mean? I have to say I'm relieved because when you said Sharpie Gate, I... I'm a Sharpie-obsessed woman. I probably own close to 200 Sharpies of different colors and (laughs) sizes and shapes. And I was like, what has Sharpie done? Do I have to stop using Sharpies? Please don't tell me that. So I'm a bit relieved, but what the fuck? It's it's just so... It's so insane. <laughs> yes, it is. And like, so when people are saying that this is insignificant in some way, I'm like, it's actually not because it He's emphasizes. The lives. First of all, yeah, it's it's first of all, it's illegal to issue a false or altered official weather forecast, and okay. it can be punished by a fine or three months in prison. You can't do that. <laughs> so first of all, there's that. Secondly, it does affect people's lives practically. Yeah. It's. It, and it's an objective truth. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yes. weather is a science. Yeah. Okay. So you can't alter that to your narrative to have it fit what you want it to fit. Yeah, and and it also shows his complete break with reality <laughs> and facts that he cannot let this go uh-uh. at all. Like, he can't admit fault or just like no. admit that he was wrong. No, of course not. About this thing, and that he he literally will not let it die. So, um. 
after Alabama um, tweeted that, hey, no, you don't have to be worried about this. We are weather scientists and we're yes. telling you that this hurricane isn't going to hit Alabama. Um, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross reportedly threatened to fire some of the nation's weather officials if they refused to lie to the public about the projected path of Hurricane Dorian. New reporting indicates he made these threats under pressure from acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and President Trump himself. Ross wanted top officials at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, an agency under his purview, to claim scientists at the agency's Birmingham, Alabama National Weather Service branch were mistaken when they corrected a tweet President Trump sent ahead of Dorian's arrival that said that the storm would most likely affect Alabama. So he is threatening to fire people because they corrected the president's incorrect information. They want them to go on and lie and say, no, 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 the president was actually right, our mistake, because they hurt the president's ego and they hurt his feelings. That should terrify people. Yes. You know, I understand that there's a lot going on in the world and, like, yeah, maybe, like, focusing on this thing that's funny that's become the, like, subject of so many, like, jokes and memes is, it seems inconsequential, but it's not because it's such an attack on on facts and it's attack on science and it's a it's a an attack on our safety because our president's ego has become more important than scientific facts and the safety of its citizens yes and so he has still not backed down from this he of continues to tweet about how he was right and it's the fake news media that's make, trying to make him look bad just and how go, dude move on yeah like, it's just so ugh. It, it's crazy and like meanwhile so meanwhile, with all of this happening, right? The hurricane did hit the Bahamas. Yeah. Really fucking hard. Yeah. Like devastating huge areas of the Bahamas. The death toll currently is 50 people, but Ugh. there are still 1,300 people missing, so the number of dead <gasps> oh is likely God. to go up. Wow. And in addition to that, the Trump administration will not give temporary protective status to Bahamians who have fled Hurricane Dorian. So he is not allowing any protective status because he claims that he's afraid that we are going to let um, gang members and drug dealers into the country from the Bahamas. Which, again, is just continuing with his weird outlook that, like, every single brown immigrant is... Every other is bad. Right. They're in a state of fucking crisis. They've lost their homes. You know what I mean? Like, they're refugees. But he's focusing on one particular thing. and Which he has no basis for. Nothing. Nothing at all. And that actually kind of... So, like, the thing that I was reading this week, and I want to talk more on that as well, but I just want to bring this up briefly, is that he is trying to basically, like, redirect immigrants from coming to the U.S. by having them first go to countries like Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, things like that. So if you're an asylum seeker, not to have U.S., the U.S. be your first stop. Although, especially with Honduras, I was reading that, like, you know how we talked about, like, the travel thing where it's like, maybe don't go to this country because X, Y, Z right now. Yeah, advisory. Yeah, like, the crime rates are high. And I guess, like, in the U.S., Honduras has been on that, like, high crime list for a while. And they're saying, maybe don't take a vacation there. It might not be the best idea for you. Yet now he's saying that asylum seekers are to be sent to Honduras. He's talking with the um, president of Honduras, trying to get this in writing, basically, where these people who are escaping from 
their countries that are dangerous, he's then telling them just go to a different potentially dangerous place. Well, and we and they don't have the the tools and they don't have the abilities to create asylum for them. We already have asylum seekers coming here from places like Guatemala. Exactly. So it doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Because because the U.S. actually disrupted that entire region and, like, caused a lot of unrest there. That's why people are trying to come here. Exactly. But he's he's saying he's, it says, the administration has previously tried to secure a series of agreements with Mexico and other Central American countries, such as Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras as a strategy to block asylum seekers from reaching the southern U.S border and it's it's been proven that by doing this like you're leaving these people in just other bad conditions you're not really giving them they don't have the the tools and the ability to create what asylum is for these immigrants right, they who don't are have trying the, the to be programs safe. in place either i don't believe yeah and um the CBP Commissioner Mark Morgan detailed how administration officials are discussing similar agreements with Central American countries, saying, We continue to talk not only to the Northern Triangle countries, you know, obviously, Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, but also Panama, you know, any country that really can step up and is part of the immigration crisis that really is a regional issue, he says. So it just seems like they're trying to... What? What does that even it doesn't, mean? It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why we are putting time and energy into any of this. Well, they're, I mean, trying, they're trying to secure what they're calling safe third country style agreements. And it's such a, it's, it's very bizarre to me that like, it, it just reminds me of what you were saying about the people from the Bahamas. It's like all these people are othered to them and they're not important. Well, they're brown. Yes. <laughs> I mean, exactly. like if, if we're just going to like come out say and say like actually what it is, like that's the issue really. Yeah. Like that's what it is. And like, that's always been what it is. It's not about immigration. It's not an immigration problem. It's a brown people problem because yeah. actually, first of all, immigrants, immigrants commit less crime in this country than natural born Americans do. So that's yeah. the first thing. Um, and secondly, there are more immigrants, illegal immigrants, if you want to call them that, in this country who are, you know, people from European countries or yeah. people from Australia who come here legally and then overstay their visas. Yeah. You know, but, they, so, but they're able to get away with it because of the color of their skin. Like, they kind of can fly under the Because they come from Western countries. Right, exactly. Um, and also that it's they're also, white. It's also much easier for people with, like white European names or from white European countries. Like, I'm going through this with my friend Ricky right now who's being sent back to South Africa, and his name sounds very Hispanic, his full name. He's from South Africa. He kind of has the cards stacked against him, yet we have friends from London, Australia, and places that have, like, good relationships with the U.S. that have gotten their visas very easily. And it's just, it's such a bizarre concept to me of, like, where we're deciding. It depends on, like, who is looking at your files to decide if you're able to stay here or not. And, like, it's all so biased and personal rather than it having, like any sort of real basis, any factual basis behind it. You know what I mean? Right. Well, I mean, and just quite honestly, it's it's a racist system. Yeah. Like, that. that's really a lot of what it is. And we don't go after white people who overstay their visas the same because way. Because we don't see them as a threat. 
Yeah, but that doesn't, it goes against, then the problem isn't immigration. Do you no, know what I mean? Like, then the problem isn't immigration because you're not worried about people from other countries coming in and taking your jobs. You're worried about brown, brown people. people coming in and taking your jobs. I agree. Like, I that's totally what you're worried you. about because there are lots of white people working in this country illegally. I've known lots of white people who've worked in this country Same. illegally. So it's it's not like that's the issue. And, like, that's what's so fucking frustrating to me issue. about this. And these people are asylum seekers, which is completely legal. Yes. Um, and they're trying to come into this country legally. Like, that's not illegal, that's not illegal. to seek asylum. No. Um, so it, the whole thing is just very, but he's very frustrating. Trying, he's trying to keep the brown population out and together and keeping them separate. And he's trying to feed his racist base, yes. right? Like, I think he... Always. Trump is really, really starting to... I mean, he never had it to begin with. Like, he was never all the way there. But right. I think he is becoming more and more unhinged the closer we get to the election. I agree. Because he, I think, gets that he's losing ground. I think it's freaking him the fuck out. But then it's like, um, where are we going next? Like, that scares me. If he is slowly becoming more and more dangerous as time goes on, what's going to happen oh, if, in the if, next year? It's if horrifying. he loses this election, it's not going to be a peaceful transition of power. Under no, I'm under no delusions that it will be. I will be incredibly <sighs> surprised if it's like a very easy, peaceful not, transition no. of power. He's going to throw a tantrum. He's going to be dragged up, kicking and screaming. And his and base will also throw a tantrum. But yeah. I think he has to cling to this racist rhetoric because it's the only thing he has left. Yeah. He has not fulfilled any of the promises no. that he gave these people. Um, his popularity continues to fall and so the only thing that he can hold on to is look I kept all the brown people you didn't like out of the country right so he can't cave on something like the Bahamas yeah. you know what I mean yeah. even though these people are literally like dying seeking asylum because their home has been destroyed by a hurricane yeah and it just it just at the end of the day it goes against everything that I feel like America has been based upon since it's Incept, like conception, you know what I mean? Like we were always about ha having people come here for safety and protection. Yes, yeah. After a certain point, you know, when we yeah. stopped. Well, of course, but I mean, I just think of like just history, right? Wanting, I mean, like America wants to be the good guy. You know what I mean? We're supposed to be the melting pot. Like that's yeah. what we're supposed to be. But even then, I mean, there were people in Trump's camp who, when when asked that question, when saying like. Well, what about the poem that's on the Statue of Liberty that says, give me your poor, exactly. you're tired, you're hungry? Um, he said, well, that they actually meant give us your um, poor, you're tired, you're hungry when they're able to stand on their own two feet. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. You can't rewrite that poem. And then also he was saying, well, it was intended for people coming from European countries. <gasps> like, he kept trying what to clarify yeah. what what the writers you of that poem Yeah, meant. you're not the writer of the poem, Mr. Right. Trump. You can't do that. Yeah, and it wasn't Trump who said it. I can't remember oh, exactly who said it. someone in that But it was camp. someone working for him in his camp. But um, I'm sure he would say the same. So, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like madness over there. John Bolton just got fired or resigned. Like, they're fucking... Yeah fighting over whether or not he was fired or resigned. Like, Trump's administration just seems to be falling apart at the scenes, so this will be an interesting thing to watch over the next year, Ugh. for sure, because we're almost a year out from the 2020 election, so oh my brace yourself. Uh, <laughs> embracing. Um, so this is not good, um, but Better. I think something that's worth discussing. So Crazy Rich Asians co-writer... Uh, she is an Asian female, and mm. she left 
writing the sequel. She was supposed to be writing the sequel. Yeah. There were two writers uh, on the first Crazy Rich Asians, her being one of them, the other being um, a a white guy named Peter Chiarelli. Okay. So there's Adele Lim and Peter Chiarelli, and they wrote the first Crazy Rich Asians adapting the book. Right. And they were together writing the sequel. Now, Crazy Rich Asians, as we know, did insanely well. Yeah. Insanely, insanely well. Um, but she recently stepped down from writing the sequel because she learned that her co-writer, Peter Chiarelli, was making eight to ten times more than her. Oh my gosh, that is a huge pay gap. Huge pay gap. So Peter Chiarelli was um, initially hired to write Crazy Rich Asians, which is weird anyway. Yeah. Um, that they would hire a white man to adapt this um this movie. So they did hire a second writer, Adele Lim, to work with him to write this movie. Smart move. Smart move. Not smart. Not paying her what she deserves. (laughs) So, yeah, because they they hired her, the director, John M. Chu, hired Adele Lim. Okay. So, um, in large part, we can say that, like, she was probably instrumental in the movie's success, I would imagine. Keeping everything, like, legitimate. She discovered recently that the starting offers from Warner Brothers for the sequel for Peter Chiarelli were $800,000 to $1 million (gasps) to write this movie. Oh, damn. The starting offer for Lim was $110,000. No! Yes. That is... Wow. Right. So Warner Brothers tried to defend their choice or their actions by saying that the industry standard established ranges based on experience and that making an exception would set a troubling precedent in the business. But let's look at the experience of the success of the movie that she, I would assume, had an instrumental role in creating what it was. In my view... To me, that is... and it was an Oscar-nominated movie. Mm-hmm. The actors did so well. The story. This was the and biggest movie of last year. Let me tell really? you, Warner Brothers, they don't have the best track record of making a lot of, like, big, you know, grossing movies. With yeah. the exception of... Um, with the exception of anything that's like uh, DC, yeah. Of course, those movies are always going to make money, yeah. Um, or they they have big franchises which make them yes. money, like Harry Potter and um, Lord of the Rings. So they make a lot of money based on like those big franchises. But as far as having very successful movies every year that are like yeah. standalone movies, they don't have a great track record of that. So this movie being as big as it was was a huge deal to me. That's that's experience to right. me. That would mean that she should have quite a big pay raise right. for this next one. So you could tell me that um, maybe she was paid a lot less for the first movie because he was the head writer, he was hired first, Yeah. Um, he has more experience than her, all of those things, I could see that. But for the second movie, there's really, for that large of a pay gap, yeah. eight to ten times less? Yeah, that doesn't make that any sense to me. That is insane, and also, like, it... It brings up this bigger question of, like, yes, I understand that experience is important, uh-huh. um, but how are people supposed to get the kind of, like, experience that they need if yeah. the new people who are being ushered in every round are white guys? Yeah. If the first people you are calling... I mean, that's the biggest problem with... I mean, a huge problem with our industry is the that in order to get the job, you need experience, but you need experience 
You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's who's going to give you that opportunity? It's a catch-22. It, it yeah. always is. And, um, you know, it, yeah, because if the first, if your first instinct on a movie that is 90% people of color mm-hmm. is to hire a white guy to write it, you know what I mean? Like, if that's, that's always the first instinct, then we're always going to butt up against this problem. Right. Um, so she walked away, and then a few months later, Chiarelli offered her half of his own salary to try and, like, Get equal, her like, or, and lay, like, kind of level the playing field, but she still said no. And um, this is the statement that she gave, and I think it's really great. She says, being evaluated that way can't help but make you feel that this is how they view my contributions. Pete Giarelli has been nothing but incredibly gracious, but what I make shouldn't be dependent on the generosity of the white guy writer. Yeah. If I couldn't get pay equity after Crazy Rich Asians, I can't imagine what it would be like for anyone else, given that the standard for how much you're worth is having established quotes from previous movies, which women of color would never have been hired for. Yeah. There's no realistic way to to achieve true equity that way. And that's basically what I was trying to say, is that, like, if you, like, judging by what they're saying, like, these are the the business standards that you get paid based on the past, your past work. Well, if no one will pay you what you're worth, then the next time you go on to a job, they can justify paying you less because your last job paid you less, and so on and so forth. And women of color are, like very often left out of the conversation like right. there was a um there was a thing from the San Diego State University Center for Study of Women in Television they published their boxed in women on screen behind the scenes television report and it found that there are more women oh my god we need to celebrate because there's more women than ever before right um behind the scenes and both on camera um and so people were like, see, look at all the good we're doing. Bravo. But when you take a look at the breakdowns in race, you'll see that women of color are actually getting less jobs than they have yeah. been in past years. Yeah. So these jobs, while more women are working, it's more white women that are working. Yeah. Um, so and women I believe of color, also that while white, when white women are becoming more successful, then that becomes your opportunity then to start highlighting women of color. Right. Then you need to start... Like, like your, your, your job isn't done. You still need to include more and more people. Yeah, women in general, like, women and people of color need to be hiring more women and people of color. Yeah. Like, and that that's how it's going to work, is because people generally, that that's what white guys have been doing forever, they're hiring people who look like them. Yeah. You know, so in order for people of color to get ahead, we're going to have to start doing that for each other, and, like, building a ladder to allow other women and people of color yeah. to move up But that. it's the people in privileges, I would say, it should be their prerogative then to be bringing these other people up like I believe that there's this idea that like yes we want more women in film we want more women in power but then it's like once we just get a white woman it's like that's enough and that's not like your job isn't over yet yeah you're like we still have one so like what's the problem yeah you know what I mean yeah there's this really awesome series that I have saved that I'm going to post on our Instagram at some point that's basically like taking out like big you know big government meetings and taking out all of the men from those meetings and, like, how many women are actually in the room. Usually, it's only one or two, and usually it's a a white woman. But I feel like because they're like, well, we gave you one. Like, I don't understand. It's like that famous Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote where she's just like, "Um, when will I think there's enough women sitting on the Supreme Court when there are 12 women sitting on the Supreme Court? Because for years and years, there were 12 men. Exactly. You know what I mean? And so, like, why do we... Like feel like oh my god you're being so radical by thinking that every all woman women, all women yeah on a, yeah 
Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I just thought that that was something that we should share and talk about. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's like a really important intersectional feminist thing to bring up and to always keep in our conversation on this show because I believe that white feminism is still highly, highly, highly on the rise. Oh, yeah. And like, it's not being stagnant, it's continuing to grow and it needs to be a conversation. And the studios also, like, these major corporations and these major companies, like, don't leave it up to the generosity of your employees yeah. to fill the gap. You know what I mean? Because they're continue like, doing what quote-unquote works. You know what I mean? Like, these studios have been around oh, absolutely. forever. And, and they want to make money. Like, that's... Yes. They're, they're, they're not looking out for you. No. They want to make money. Exactly. So they're going to continue doing what quote-unquote works and what you've been doing forever. They don't want to be the ones to make the change. Yeah, but it's also unfair for you to, like, put your other writers in a position where they, like, they're going to give up their salary yeah. to make up for something that you should have done in the first right. place, exactly. which is, like, pay. Which is why I think that her standing her ground was a really good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Rather than just being like, thank you so much for being so kind and generous and giving me half of your paycheck. Yeah. I like that she still stood her ground. It was like, no, this isn't. This is unjust. This isn't right. And mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how this movie is going to turn out with a white dude writer. I mean, my guess is they're going to replace her. They with, probably will. with another person of color. They better and fucking pay her well. They also know that like they don't honestly, and like this is the sad truth. They don't care really about how good this sequel is because they know that this sequel is going to make them money regardless because the first yeah, one did so well. Exactly. So I don't think they're overly preoccupied in having the best writers for the job. No, you know? I, think, like, I mean, that's just kind of a sequel way of going about it, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's and, you know, to be honest, WB has been guilty of that. Like, all of these last, like, Batman movies have been terrible. Yeah. Um, But they, because they're not written well. Yeah. But it doesn't matter if they're written well, because they're going to make money no matter what. Because it's still the Batman yeah. series or whatever. So, if you have any stories that you would like <laughs> us to cover in the news, you know, sometimes it does feel like a light news week. Yeah. So, we would totally welcome you um, sending us any ideas yeah. throughout the week, and we would be happy to consider those. You can email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. We are sometimes, not often, on Twitter at Yamf Podcast, Y-A-N-F Podcast. We also have a Facebook and business page Feel free to leave us a review either in our Facebook business page or on Apple Podcasts. We would love to do more reviews day Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Um, and listen to us on Radio Public. It's free for you. Helps us out a little bit. Yep. I think that's everything. Yeah. I yeah. believe so. You guys, thank you so much for listening to another mini episode. That's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to, to rage on. on. Bye. probably heard the name Mary Queen of Scots and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like for instance did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled or that giving gifts was her love language in my podcast vulgar history we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part mini-series about the fascinating life of Mary Queen of Scots Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But 
I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. So be sure to turn into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com.